0: You're listening to Holy Madness. This is 2 and Holy Madness is brought to you by Jewishcoffeehouse.com. Ich nicht. You're listening to Holy Madness, episode 16
1: welcome after the long break long break why was there such a break i flew to america for three weeks and boy and... are his arms tired <laughs> that was so painful it took him three weeks to get there <laughs> <laughs> and then i shrugged and teleported back um <laughs> no well you know between the time difference and the uh, insanity and of course there was the holidays that came up as well so there just wasn't any time to record how was your off? It was terrible. Thanks for asking. Oh gosh, oh, man. <laughs> family is something best enjoyed from a distance. No, I'm joking because my family may actually hear this and they'll be mad. Um, it was it was very tiring. You fly, you know, transatlantic with with children. It's not easy. They're jet lagged. You're jet lagged. You go 48 hours without sleeping until everybody's settled yeah. on the other side. And then, you know, there's stuff to do. And and Pesach is the worst one because you've got to be up for God knows how long. Right, yeah. And then, you know, you're constantly, you know, whatever gets it is. And then, and then you get to the Ask questions, thing. kids. Yeah, right. Like, hey, kids, what do you want to know? <laughs> Nothing. Dad. <laughs> Let me uh, sleep. Exactly. <laughs> Give me another uh, glass of well, wine. Well, it's interesting because, because. I got that this year. Oh, yeah? Give yeah, me another glass my, of wine? Yeah.
0: My oldest is old enough that she can demand more wine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, actually, at our family seder. We discussed this briefly, actually, in the uh, in the Pesach uh, editions that we did. In my Seder, we did this year with my family. So uh, I'm the oldest of six. Three of us are married, six grandkids. And four of them are old enough mm-hmm. that they can understand a little bit of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So what, I, what we wound up doing was we kind of made my dad, their granddad, Paro.
0: <laughs> he must have liked
1: that. He was sitting on a recliner. Mm-hmm. He's a very imposing guy.
0: Well, that's his standard,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, We We have uh, his his chair by the table. So so you on a Does he
0: lean on his left side while he's in a <laughs> <the>
1: right, <laughs> right?
0: right. The Rumbum is very clear about this. He says you lean on your right side, doesn't count. Back doesn't count. Stomach doesn't count. you got to be, be the side. left It's
1: got to be the left. I didn't pay attention, honestly, but hmm. it's a good question. So we made him into Paro, and that's his throne. And he's sitting there, and, and we got him to like you know give them things to do, carry the sack of potatoes over there, and go outside in the cold, and just sit there, and there's you know there's little things like that. All right, because you were shoveling snow on Pesach. No jokes. I mean, we're not shoveling. It wasn't It wasn't snowing on Pesach, but we did. It it was a solid thirty five degrees for you Celsius people. That is two degrees um, <laughs> while uh, while we were there. Yeah, because like thirty five degrees. That sounds nice uh <laughs> but uh yeah so like but so they had like but that kind of took over Moggage, so like the adults kind of just zoomed through it you know reading it and whatever yeah. but but that was the that was the experiential part of the setter and it was actually really nice and then you know whatever Wait, so what was so bad the rest of it. Oh, <laughs> okay. Not that, not that. <laughs> um, we no, got the highlights. No, I'm saying, like, you know, the, the jet lag, and, and we were there without a car. Mm. So, like, you know, the days that everybody had work or they had things to do, and we're just, like, stuck at home. And it's not easy when you've got kids to entertain, entertain and, and they're tired and jet lagged and screaming. I took my kids to Dunkin' Donuts, just to put this in perspective. Mm. And I, I thought they would be, like, all excited. I was Donuts. at a
0: kosher Dunkin' Donuts in Brooklyn.
1: That's so cute. Like, there are 50 of them. I know,
0: but... <laughs> the truth is... It's the only kosher Dunkin' Donuts I've ever been to, uh-huh. and it's the only eatery in Brooklyn I've ever
1: been to. Chaval, there are some good ones now. I understand. There's some real foodie places. I, I no, hear No, I'm right. serious. There's, uh... Well, they're hipsters. Right. Yeah, 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 Especially in Crown Heights, for those of you listening. Um, Not in, that in, you're in Crown Heights. There's some real foodie places. Mm-hmm. Better like zagat Rated and everything. Really? Yeah, yeah. How it's I amazing. Call? Yeah. Hmm. They got smoke houses if you're into like the deep south. They've got there's a there's a kosher Vietnamese place that just opened. <laughs> Seriously. I yeah. Waiting list for tables for like weeks. Wow. Yeah. Small place. Everybody wants to go. That's how they did it. Oh. So uh yeah. But anyway, so we went to one of the kosher Dunkin' Donuts and uh, I would thought my kids would be all excited. Donuts, something new, uh and uh, they got mad because, you know, I don't know, kids, they got mad. They were screaming bloody murder. Well, obviously because they were kosher le Pesach sufganiyot. <laughs> you should live so. <laughs>
2: um,
1: no, we went before Pesach. And uh, they were screaming bloody murder hmm. about the, I don't know, whatever it was. You know, this donut's no good and I wanted that one. And how come she gets one and a quarter and I only get one and a eighth? And, right. Oh, and not only that—you that we know—in were... Auschwitz, we didn't have any donuts. <laughs>
0: You'd be happy for any Wait, donut you had. It,
1: it's it's better than that because because I explained to them while they were screaming that we're not in Israel, so you can't scream in the middle of stories. <laughs> <laughs> because in Israel that's normal, but in America that's not. And while I was telling this to them, this woman looks at me, and she says, "Oh, you're from Israel?" I said, "Yeah, we live there. We're from here." She goes, "Oh, where do you live?" I said, oh, we live in uh, Ramon and Etziv, a neighbor in Jerusalem. She said, that's very nice. I live in, honestly, I forgot, some place all the way up in the middle of nowhere, I don't remember. And I said, oh, that's, that's great. And what are you doing? She said, oh, we're here visiting family. And she said, oh, we start talking about how it's weird and the kids and, you know, they don't understand the difference in the cultures and everything. And then she turns to me. and This is amazing. And I've held on to this since it happened to tell you. She turns to me and says, you know, it's the weirdest thing. I went to shul. This was on a Sunday. So I went to shul yesterday. Mm-hmm. right? She's in the synagogue. And it's becoming more and more common that people say a prayer, that there's a tefillah for the safety and the security of the state of Israel that people in Chutzla, are, its people in diaspora, now say. Even though this is a political thing of sorts.
0: Oh, this is like a new thing in Brooklyn. Right. Because okay. it's so black hat.
1: Yeah. But like they've right. started doing this at okay. the very least for This has been
0: standard in modern orthodoxy yes, for, for years, many and years. years yeah. But
1: this has made inroads into the black okay. hat community. Wow. So she's like, so I was there. And they said the, you know, uh, thing for for the state of Israel. And I was sitting in the, the women's section. I was like, I don't know. I feel like this should be the other way around. Like, we in Israel should be praying for you. Yeah, for sure. With everything that's going on. I do. And I I stopped. Because, like, at the end of the day, that's where I grew up. And that colors a lot of how and what, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness. That's so true yeah we should so the reason hold on it's great i held on to this to tell you this until now mm. this this anecdote because my sister was over before as you saw and she went to this store look today here in 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 jerusalem and she was looking to buy sunglasses so she goes to the store and the mm. guy says how much is this? Sunglasses? the guy says 30 shekels she's like okay it's a little too much she starts to leave She says no 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 I understand today in America it's very hard making a living for you, special price, 20 shekels. Oh. I heard this, and I said, we've reached the point where Israelis are giving discounts to Americans because of the economy. It's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remembered this woman yeah. and this Dunkin' Donuts, and I was like, wow, there's a, there's a lot yeah. to, to deal with to, here. To
0: contrast with that, so... In my neighborhood, last night we have our block party celebration for Independence Day. Yeah, and Happy
1: birthday, Israel! Happy birthday, Israel!
0: 70 you look years. great for seventy.
2: I got to tell you something, and I don't say this to everybody. You
1: look
2: marvelous, absolutely marvelous.
0: <laughs> she really does. She does totally. She does. And great I'm Kirk's. sitting next to one of my. Uh... <laughs> I'm sitting next to one of my new neighbors. His name is Pinchas, amazing guy, and uh, he's from Brooklyn originally. Oh, nice! Yeah, I couldn't tell you which street and this and that. I'm not that kind I of don't buggy. know. Yeah, but he tells me that back in the late '70s, he was a student at Bar Ilan, the university where okay. I work. Yeah, and one time, his father, who lives in New York, but fled to New York after or during the Holocaust, basically, right. and had come to visit him at Bari Law. And so he brings his father onto campus and somebody rushes out to greet them and gives them a whole tour of campus. And he realizes halfway through what's going on. It's says, a fundraising thing. Dad, you know... They're only giving us this tour because they think you're a rich American. This guy is a refugee from Poland right, yeah. who has not a dime to his name, <laughs> who scraped together cash for years so he could visit his son in, in Israel. Right. But, but yeah, that's what it used to be. Yeah.
1: yeah. And, and here we are. It's, yeah. it's incredible. Um, my dad was here in the summer. Mm-hmm. And my father's memories of Israel are from the 70s mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was here as a student in yeshiva and he was here you know he was, was here in your slime right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was here like as partisan program where these uh high school public school kids were getting these internships uh and it was a way for them to see israel and to get some you know good resume builders and this and that so he'd recruited a bunch from his job and mm-hmm. so they flew him out here to see the program you know like a reward i guess for for everything he's done mm-hmm. So he had this meeting. We went out for lunch with a couple of kids in our neighborhood by the first station. Mm-hmm. For those of you that plan to come to Israel, the first station is a fantastic place to come see. Hatachana <inaudible> harishona. Yeah, good luck saying that. And, uh, <laughs> and then he had this meeting at Hadassah in Karim, the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'll drive you. I was with him that day. I was off from work, whatever it was. And I was like, oh, dad, I'll take you, you know. So I drove him. I drove him the, the back way through Malcha and you come up through Kiri Menachem over there oh, you know, past okay. the zoo and then you're right by the What was hospital? that like when he was there? It didn't exist. At all. He spent the whole ride looking at me going when did all these roads happen? I don't understand when I was here. I don't know why I'm turning my father into one of these like uh, stereotypical yeah, Jews. Like, he doesn't talk like that, that at all. Like... But he's like I don't, I don't understand these roads. He, he picked up the phone. He called my mother. He's like Lisa you'll never believe it. There are roads in Jerusalem <laughs> I was like, yeah, you' never believe it. There are roads in <laughs> what do you how how parochial can you be? <laughs> you know but uh but yeah we've we've come a long way, baby. We well, really have one of
0: my closest friends here. I will not reveal his name. It's Bob. it's not Bob, but <laughs> That's not far from the truth. Oh, Okay. Right. So he made Aliyah. He moved to Israel in the early 80s, -hmm. which, you know, for people in the previous generation to come here is like sort of on the late side
1: in a certain way. And in a weird way, it's also one of the hardest times for anybody to come here. Yes. He has rampant inflation. Yes. He
0: got here in time for the Golda to inflate or crash or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So he said that he initially lived in Svat. Okay. And then he moved to Yerushalayim to Jerusalem. And he said, you know, when I came here, you know, you would stand in the middle of Jaffa Street smoking a joint. Mm-hmm. And every 5 minutes maybe a car would go by. Right. Cuz
1: there weren't any cars. Right.
0: By the time we well, by the time I came to Jerusalem, Jaffa Street was a major artery and by the time you came to Jerusalem, Java Street was closed to traffic. Closed to traffic so that it could be turned into a walking mall yeah. and a thoroughfare
1: for the, for the train. light rail. Yeah. So it's actually funny because the truth is I judge this just by commute time. I wouldn't pick a particular street. Hmm. But I can tell you this. It always took me a minimum of 25 minutes to leave the city when I was commuting out of it. Hmm. Minimum 25 minutes from wherever you were in the city mm-hmm. to get out. And often it would take an hour. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what, what's what's gone on here in in no time at all. Look, I've got I've got pictures. <laughs> well, it just it just reminds me of Jonah, right?
0: Jonah. Yeah. It's how far does it take to get from one end of Nineveh to the
1: city center or across <laughs> it?
2: Right?
0: Three days.
1: Right? Yeah. Well, yeah. if you're tiptoeing. But uh, no, I'll, I'll tell well, he's you. He's like talking this. to a lot of people along the way. That's line. also true, and it says nothing about his his rate of walking. And he you probably know, wasn't on the light. He was rail on crutches. Either. Yeah, he was on crutches. That was it.
2: Riding
1: um, a fish or something. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say it like this: I mean, I came here as a child in the nineties, and mm-hmm. we have pictures. And I we dug him up mm-hmm. when I was back for Pesach, mm-hmm. and I was sitting there going, "I lived there." It was, another, <laughs> yeah. it was another city. Right. It right. was another city completely.
0: It's amazing how much it's changed. It really is. I mean, I made Aliyah in two thousand three, so now it's yeah. I don't want to date you, but I was in eleventh grade when I came here. The jokes about how bad Israeli service were what? How bad Israeli service was? Weren't jokes. They were for. It real. was reality. It was just yeah, like, the service is... <laughs> Awful. You could sit in Misrata Panim, the Ministry of the Interior, for God knows what, for literally days on
1: end. Yeah. Right? And... And somebody would look at you and be like, you signed your name in the wrong lines. You have to come back in six weeks. Right. Uh, that that, ha- that <laughs> I, happened I to friends of mine in yeah. yeshiva. Yeah.
0: Right? And then they were almost thrown in jail mm-hmm. because they didn't have the document at the right time because they...
1: Anyway. You know how I got out of all that? No. This is a great story. I think I've told you before. I, uh... I overstayed my student visa. I wasn't interested. That's exactly the scenario they were in. I wasn't interested in dealing with them. I was like, I'm American. I'm bulletproof. uh," 19. So I get to the airport to Mm -hmm. go in for Pesach. And I'm in month seven of a three-month visa. Mm -hmm. And I get to the passport control on the way out. And the woman looks at me. She doesn't really speak English. And she goes, "Uh, Visa. And I looked at her and I went, no, I have a MasterCard and she goes no no and she points at so my American. passport and she goes visa visa and i said i paid for that already that's property united states government why are you asking me for money i don't understand this i'm not gonna stand for this and she's like no visa you, you knew
0: exactly what you were doing of right? course okay. i knew ahead of time okay. was
1: coming. and coming. visa and i was like no mastercard <laughs> and she's like no visa i'm like i paid for that already so she calls her supervisor who to my chagrin spoke a perfectly fluent english and she goes, uh, why are you here past three months? And I said, I'm here in yeshiva. And she goes, why you don't get student visa? And I said, what's a student visa? So she shows me my passport where it says tourist visa, visa three months. Because mm-hmm. back then they still used to stamp it. Yep. And I said, oh, I didn't pay attention to that. I don't know what that means. She's like, it's written in English. I'm like, yeah, but I'm American. I don't read. <laughs> and uh, she just got so annoyed at me that she was just like, don't do it again. And I was like, oh, I had no idea. Next time I'll give you a visa for my passport, no problem. And, uh, and then I left. And then when I came back, it was only yeah, for like two months. Visa. But like my wife pulled the same kind of stunts for a long time. And it got to a point where they actually wrote in her passport, Don't do not let her. her, no, no, do not let her back into the country. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. Not to pass. Wow. And then the punchline is, we made Aliyah. Mm-hmm. So we made so, Aliyah a passport that said, don't let into the country. <laughs> and the person at the gate looked at it and burst out laughing and was like, we'll make an exception. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was great. Um, but I think it's, it's funny that this is where we're going, because obviously it's Independence Day. But I, I love pointing this out, because in America, Memorial Day is in May.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Independence Day is in July. Right. But in Israel, they're back to back. Yeah, this so, bothered me for a long time. So last time. night, we had a siren. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, two nights ago. Right. At this point, when we're recording. But the night before, you have a siren. The day before, you have a siren. And then that night, the celebrations start. Here in Israel, we do night and day rather than there's day an, and night. There's, an, there's a PhD thesis to be written on
0: the ritual of transition. From yeah. one into the
1: other. So so I've I i can not I maybe All I can, your anthropology students who listen to us. Here you go. We've just given you your PhD thesis. Um he, I mean like look, I'm not gonna say this from an academic standpoint, but from an experiential one. Mm-hmm. I, I've been here five years now. Mm-hmm. It the fifth time I've done this. And and it's always amazing because it makes Independence Day not something you pay lip service to. But something that you appreciate. Ah, wow. Okay, Here's something, Hmm. right? Like, look, the siren goes off at night. It's like 8 o'clock. And the whole country stops. If you're Mm. on a highway, you will watch every car on the highway pull to the shoulder. If they're not there already in anticipation, right? Right. And then people will get out of their car and they will stand. Stand. And they stand in silence for a minute. It's as long as the siren goes. And then everybody goes along their way. I was in the mall yesterday for the day siren. Hmm. And mind you, the mall set up a small memorial in the food court, which is the middle of the mall, uh, flowers a and a picture mall- ah, mm-hmm. and, you know, a uh, little uh, prayer over mm-hmm. there and, like, everybody. Congr- so, I was—I happened to have finished my business there, and I was ready to leave. It was before the siren. I was like, okay, I'll get out, and I'll mm-hmm. get on the road. And, okay, uh, halfway to home, mm-hmm. I'll just. And the security guard turns to me. He's like, no one's leaving. I was like, who the hell are you? (laughs) And he's like, no one leaves. You know, it's like that Monty Python guy. No one shall pass. You know, (laughs) it's like, and I had to stand there. And then like a minute and a half later, Siren goes off. He didn't let anyone in. He didn't let anyone out. (laughs) He closed the doors. Interesting. Because this is something which you better damn well give your attention to. And and the funny thing is, no one had a problem with it. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah, that that's that's fine, and that's yeah, fair. Yep.
0: Yeah. So on, I forget. I think it was the evening going into Memorial Day Yom Hazikaron. My oldest was at Bnei Akiva, the right. youth group, and I. This was a a total shift for me to understand the place of Bnei Akiva, this youth group, in the cultural scene in Israel. This is so important culturally, and not only is it important culturally, it's actually woven into the government. Mm. So when a religious girl finishes high school and comes up for her mandatory national service period, she could very well be doing national service through or for B'nai Akiva. That's how much this is enmeshed in the government. It's right. It's and the truth is, the state was founded by youth movements. Correct. Which is amazing. I've shown her at
1: Zaire. Exactly, yes.
0: So my daughter, I pick her up from, from youth group, and we're driving home. And I ask her, so how was it? And she said, it was good. I said, so did you do something for Hazikaron?" She said, yes, we did. I said, so what did you do? And she said, well, we, we learned about different Chayalim Shanaflut, different fallen soldiers. I said, "So, so what? What did you hear? And I was shocked by the reply that she gave me. She started to tell me the names of the particular people she learned about. Right. And their stories. And their stories and their families. How
1: they fell, yes. why they fell, what can't. Yeah. So
0: one is the brother of our Rav and another is an ole from Texas. And I asked her, so did you hear about my friend Michael who fell in Lebanon? She
1: said, no, they, we didn't talk about him this year. Right. right as right. if in right. other years but
0: like i'm a little bit insulted that right you didn't talk about my but, but
1: that's funny because television shuts down for memorial day and all they do is show all the names mm-hmm. yep. everyone is memorialized and and the thing that that gets to me and the reason why this is powerful to me and i'm a cynic you know that no yeah and, and any of our listeners know that too but the thing that gets to me May I refer you to episodes 1 through 15? (laughs) And 17 through whatever. But the thing that gets to me is it places Independence Day in context.
0: It's amazing what you're saying because when I came here, the first time I went through this ritual, I was in yeshiva, and I was basically a leftist with deep interest in Torah who showed up in the... Uh, disputed territories and uh, the rough I was studying with took me to his uh, home community and we're there for the transition and I'm just looking at this going this is so manipulative emotionally okay but, a totally cynical perspective which I didn't even realize was cynical you know I'm looking at this you as know, if you're some you know from the detached enlightened the American perspective calculated. That, like listen I understand that you're going to have your Independence Day on this particular day, but your Memorial Day, why the hell would you put it the day before? Right, it's just except cynically except exploiting. For the sake the... Of, exactly. For the sake of exploiting the emotional roller coaster of this. And I held this way until just a few years ago, actually. So for me, But it's for you weird. to say it this way, that it's putting it in context, is totally true. And I only started to feel that. Two or three years ago. So it's interesting because I came here yeah. five
1: years ago. And, and that was my immediate experiential reaction. Wow. It was just like, the fact that we have this is not a given. Yeah. It's not a given. No. And we have this because people made these sacrifices. Yes. I'll tell you something crazy. Mm-hmm. You can find it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I don't know where. it was passed around on WhatsApp. There was a Haredi Yeshiva. These are ultra, ultra orthodox. Black and
0: white, look like penguins. Yeah, the monochrome Judaism. Ostensibly hate
1: the state. Exactly. No, no, exactly. Mm -hmm. But this was a... It's a high school. Mm -hmm. And it's for the kids that don't have... I'll say it in Yiddish, I'll say it in English. They don't have the zitzfleisch (laughs) for learning. They don't have the ability to sit for 17 hours a day. Now, many of you are going... Me neither. Welcome to yeshiva. Some of us don't did have do that, that right? Then. Some of us did do that. Um, it's not for nothing that we get the uh, reputation that we do for being good at law and accounting and doctors and whatever else. <laughs> <laughs> but jokes aside, so this is a bit of a—it's—it's it's a funny place mm-hmm. in the sense of they exist within the socio-political realm of. A certain way of life that no one in the institution is really part of Mm -hmm. but yet the institution exists so that these people can be part of that way of life right but because of that it has this call it you know outside looking in kind of perspective and so in the Haredi world they don't memorialize independence day at all Mm-hmm. because there's nothing to memorialize god runs the world this is all politics politics is about men The state is and a men totally has nothing to do with god whatever until the messiah comes right it's all about the messiah but so with what the leader of this school did hmm. and the uh the israeli television covered this and that's why it's on youtube hmm. uh was they they did something for memorial day for Hazikaron. Mm-hmm. so he passed out pictures and short tidbits on different people who died. Wow. So, Roey Klein, I mm-hmm. want to say. I don't remember his name. The guy jumped on a grenade. to yep, yep, yep. Save his friends, mm-hmm. right? So he, so, he explains to him. And as he jumps on the grenade, he screams, Shema Israel. Right. So, his point to them was, you know something? You look at all these chilonim, you look at all these secular people, and you say, oh, they don't know anything. They're not, they don't keep Torah. They're, they're nothing. He says, they're not nothing. Because when that guy jumps on a grenade, to die says Shema Yisrael. hmm and, and he brought out through, and he had each kid speak on what he read and what he thought about it and how this, you know, colors wow. his worldview. Oh, it was beautiful. Wow. It was beautiful. And he brings this, you know, this is what he had them bring out. that These people sacrificed so that you can be here. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to understand be here in a political context. Mm-hmm. Or an existential one. You live on these, you know, four by four mm-hmm. uh, space of land. Mm-hmm. Someone did something for that. Appreciate it. Know it. Understand it. Respect it. This is an amazing thing. So when I came here, that was my original experiential reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm only here because people chose to die so that I could be. Mm-hmm. And even if it wasn't an active choice, it was a passive choice. Eh, a kid got drafted, what's he going to do, right? Goes to the army, what's he going to do, right? And gets shot, what's he going to do, right? But he died so that I could be here. And his parents buried him so that I could be here. And his parents live on so that we could be here. Yeah. And it made me actually be mad that in America they don't make this connection.
0: Mm -hmm. granted
1: anyone alive today
0: oh that the americans don't connect their memorial day to their independence right now Uh
1: granted anyone alive today history is
0: so different correct i was about
1: to say anyone alive today except for your great-grandfather if he's still with us never saw a war that directly affected the actual united states of america it was always in terms of world political policy so vietnam didn't actually concern america no one was going to attack san francisco whether we went to vietnam or not Mm -hmm. but it was about the ideology and it was about the worldview, and it was about the values and whatever these things are so i understand grandfather my great my grandfather fought in korea just to time this. I have to make one grandfather
0: clear. who was in the army for Korea. Another grandfather who fought in World War II. Oh, hang on. My step-grandfather That's... who fought in World War II. But
1: here's the thing. It's only World War II. I'm not them. that much older than you. No, I understand. <laughs> but I'm explaining. My grandfather served in Korea. He did not serve in World War II. Mm-hmm. He's also dead. Marlboro is to blame for that. But I'm saying he's not around. So... I understand why people would see it in the cynical light you were saying a moment ago in terms of how, like, this is obviously manipulative to bring up patriotic, you know, whatever. But at the end of the day, people die so that you may live. Mm -hmm. That is not a small thing. It's not a small thing. Someone gives their all in the most literal and raw sense of the term. So that you can carry on drinking Starbucks and complaining about the mall's Wi-Fi—that that's just that's just wow. And again, I'm 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 not saying this in a accusatory tone, and I'm not saying this, you know, to make suggestions about how things should be, and it's not a political statement. It's just a a sense of wow, that where you stand is on the backs of other people. So
0: I've been thinking about this from maybe
1: a slightly different angle.
0: Some years ago, two years ago, I think, it was a sweltering hot day. And I escorted the American fundraising team for my university, Bar-Ilan, into the faculty lounge for the faculty of law, the law school at Bar-Ilan. Top law school in Israel, by the way. Hmm. And the dean of law started to explain to them in accented but elegant and clear English his new program, the Center for Jewish and Democratic Law. Okay. Now, it was hot, the <laughs> walls were sweating. Okay. And we brought That's in, every summer here, to we, be fair. We brought in cappuccino to keep people awake through this thing. And at the end of his five, ten minutes of talking, one of the senior members of the American fundraising team started to ask questions clearly thinking he was asking good questions and clearly not understanding even the motivation for such a center. And the Israelis, including the, the immigrants like myself, were all just ticked off. Like, how could these people be just so cool? shut clueless? up
1: already, yeah.
0: But, but I was so annoyed that somebody had palmed my cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> I was exceptionally alert. I was not... You know, languid because of the the heat, and and I understood exactly what was going on, and what hit me was that for the Americans, particularly the secular Americans who were there, there's just no sense of tension between Judaism and democracy. Well,
1: they're the same thing.
0: Dafka, <laughs> in America, you have a democracy, and it's the democracy that allows you to be Jewish because without you know, it, without it, you know, there'd be pogroms. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, America is in, in some auxiliary sense, like the promised land for
1: us, for them, for, no, no, I'm, I'm saying that on purpose. Yeah, I hear for that kind of person. Mm-hmm. That is the promise. Yes. Land. I'm going to only say this parenthetically and we are not going to get into it. Maybe some other time if we want to stir up controversy, but for the left wing secular Jew, America Mm -hmm. is the promised land.
0: (laughs) Yes. Close parentheses. Exactly. Yes. And now we'll we'll go there another time. (laughs) But I'm actually going to edge right back toward that. Oh, man. Because (laughs) (laughs) the the thing is Here I thought
1: we crossed that bridge. (laughs) The
0: the thing is that that here in Israel, people have uh, practically everybody agrees. Yes, we should be Jewish, and yes, we should be democratic. In fact, uh, Rivlin, the, our president, in his speech for Independence Day, once again dutifully affirmed that we are a Jewish are and democratic no state. Yes, and it's not quite pablum because it actually means something to people. But it's so important to say it, and it's so obvious to everybody. Right? Everybody agrees this should be the case. Nobody's happy with the way it's being done, but but it, it's it's the philosophical issue in israeli politics whereas the americans
1: couldn't get it at all right it was like what's the big deal right so so that's the thing to someone who takes these things for granted there is no big deal about it that's just what people do it takes somebody who understands how shaky the ground is under his feet to appreciate somebody else who dies, so that he may live. Look to take the law center as an example. So, if you live in Israel, where these things are really intentional, like you were saying, that's a big deal. To to create an institution where these things can exist in harmony, is is a big thing. Yeah. But to take it to somebody who takes it for granted that these things are the same thing, so then what are you actually saying? It doesn't mean anything at all. Right. You're typical American. And again, it's not a political statement. I'm not a political person. We've made that clear over 15 and a half episodes so far. If somebody takes it for granted that when the country goes to war, it's to protect the country's interests or assets perhaps Hmm. or its way of life at Mm -hmm. the very least and Joe Schmo dies, they feel almost a sense of entitlement. Well, yeah, Joe Schmo died, and he went in for the GI Bill, and he was going to get free college, and good for him, And uh, but like, you know, I don't know, what, 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 that's what he was supposed to do. Whereas we see it as like, oh my goodness. Oh, you know who went to college on the GI Bill? I just found this out
0: today. Your dad? No. Oh, okay. Cosmo Kramer.
2: <laughs> that's amazing.
0: Yeah. What gets me is that when we send out a soldier, it's not just that half the country, only slight exaggeration, personally knows that soldier.
1: Yeah, we talked about this. Right, once. we talked How many about degrees this, yes. of separation but are here. It's not just that
0: a very substantial proportion of the country is personally acquainted with that soldier. It's that if that soldier dies in combat, everybody knows exactly. For what purpose that soldier died? Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. Yeah. What purpose? Whereas in America, at least for me growing up as an American, we send out these soldiers and we have these
1: values. Very nice. And, Nicaragua had a – Right. Yeah, like, who cares? What exactly is the
0: connection? What's and, the point? But there's a – this is just sort of the the anecdote to, to push the point that – it's not so clear to me that America has that sense of purpose. I don't think it does. We talked about this back in episode three, in a way, where we were talking yes. about reclaiming the sacred in yes. connection with the. Uh, we, we've Goldman's touched
1: article. on this in many different ways. Yeah. It's one of our underlying themes that never gets any real, you know, face time, but it's always lurking in the background. And And, and maybe this is a good place. To bring it to the forefront. When you have a society, there are things that hold that society together. What are they? And what are they for? Mm -hmm. Are important things. Yeah. If all that holds your society together is a currency, for example, or a space of
0: geography, for example. Or even a social contract which is committed
1: to defending liberties well hang on okay i'll get there in a second so whether it's a currency or geography or some weird half-baked ideology it never answers what was the point but here's the thing i've met people and so have you who are relatives of these people that we're talking about
0: my God, when, um, on Yomazikaron, at the very beginning, uh, when we in the evening prayers, after the the main service, we said an additional prayer relating to the soldiers who had fallen, and we mentioned the names of all the relatives for the people in the neighborhood who had fallen. And, like, half the Beit Knesset, was half the synagogue is, involved. is mentioning people.
1: Yeah. yeah. So like, look, I, I don't even have these kind of communal ties put through my work, through my friends and friends of friends. You meet these people and you get the impression that if they had the choice again, it's a sacrifice they would make, which is amazingly off-putting mm-hmm. to, to somebody who grew up the way we did. Mm -hmm. what are are you serious with anybody whose son died in iraq i thought you were just going to start that. either war with amazing (laughs) but but again i'm saying anybody whose son died in iraq Mm -hmm. either war Mm -hmm. whose son died in nicaragua whose son died in in vietnam look at it and say i do it all again and not for some weird ideological or political rationale
0: But that's like the whole trend in American politics. No, we wouldn't have done that again. And no, we wouldn't do that again. But the thing is. Like, were our values wrapped up with this? Yes, but somehow the calculation was wrong. It would
1: have been. And by the way, I said this to my wife. Barbara Bush died a couple days ago. Wow, I didn't realize that. And uh, W. eulogized her. And and, and a clip of it made it to, to Twitter. He, no, it was a cute thing where he was saying how his mom kept her sense of humor to the end. He used to needle her and she used to needle him. So he visited her in the hospital. And the doctor walks in and, and she says to the doctor, this nice woman, she says, do you know why George turned out the way he did? The doctor is like a bit taken aback. And he's <laughs> like, no. And he says, it's because I smoked and drank while I was pregnant with him. and this is what he's eulogizing with which was actually very beautiful and humane but and again this is not political but i'm very struck by how wonderfully human Mm -hmm. george w Mm -hmm. bush is Mm -hmm. i'm going to say why this is a man who when he left the white house has done two things he paints Mm -hmm. whatever actually not bad And he visits the war widows of the people he sent to die. This is not a PR move. No one knew about this for years. And it only came out because one of these widows said something. Mm -hmm. His thing was, I sent your husband to die. I had my reasons. I had my rationales. I was the leader and these are the choices I felt were best to make but I will not overlook the actual cost that is paid by people for those decisions. And so I'm not coming to do some kind of PR move where I pat you on the back and I tell you your husband fell for some noble cause. I'm here to share your pain that your husband is dead because I'm the reason for it. What a man. Yeah. What a man. And and it only struck me in contrast how we take that for granted here. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yes. We just take it for granted.
0: Of course the prime minister will come to make a call. More
1: than that. But of course your husband fell for a reason. And of course we all share in that sorrow. And of course we can all see the reason he fell. Right. We don't enter into extraneous wars. We're not interested. <laughs>
0: Every single one of our wars is an
1: existential war. Fine, <laughs> but but look, we've had many reasons to go to war, and weirdly, we don't take them all. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. We don't. It's ta- and and when look, Bibi Netanyahu, for all that's said about him, touts himself as Mister Security. He's extremely cautious. He's committed ground troops to a war once in 20 years. And if you think for a minute that part of his rationale is not what we're talking about, you're a fool. He knows there needs to be an answer. He knows that life isn't cheap. His
0: brother fell. Yes, exactly. He knows exactly. It
1: yes. He knows what that cost is. And he's not willing to take it over something dumb. I'm not a BB fan and I'm not a BB supporter and this is not a political, you know, rah-rah thing at all. It's just a statement of fact. People here have that sense. The, the, The point is this, and this is where I kinda wanna focus on. In a way we're both right. It is far easier, it's far more cynical to shrug off someone who died for something because, frankly, it doesn't matter. The American understanding of Memorial Day and Independence Day as two different things is not wrong. Right. It's right. not. Mm-hmm. As you said, as we both said, it's some kind of cynical, manipulative attempt to inspire patriotic feelings by people and frankly the idea of tying them both together is nice but here's the difference here's where i feel is really the difference Mm -hmm. the context that we place it in in israel is not everybody honor the fallen soldier guy because he died so that we may live and let us honor his you know total sacrifice nah a big deal but nah it's that it places in context what it means to live here yeah because this is a place that is so on edge so shaky so questionable i mean seriously has there ever been in the history of the universe another country where people are talking about its right to exist 70 years after its (laughs) founding (laughs) My grandpa fought in the War of Independence, but we're not sure if this country should legally exist, whatever that means. It's, it's stupid, but, but it's the way things are for us. So it's not this, like, ooh, we honor the sacrifice of those that have fallen so that we may live. It's that living here takes on a very different color and a very different meaning in light of those people's sacrifice. It's that you're the continuation of something rather than you're the beneficiary of something. And that is a huge difference. In America, you are the beneficiary of someone's sacrifice. It doesn't touch you. He died so that America can go on being America. What does that have to do with me? I don't know. But in Israel, he died so that, so that you can be you. Those like, are different things, yeah,
0: I feel like part of it is is just on a very simple level, geography, because here the enemy is firing missiles from a few miles away into your bedroom, or Not only if they aim right <laughs> And usually they don't thank God. Yeah, but the proximity is very close, whereas America is to it's great benefit. Very far away from everybody it's ever fought. So whatever the threat is for Americans is abstract in a certain way. Your boy goes off to fight somewhere, somewhere and yeah. then comes back, hopefully. And and if the person fell in battle, you know, God forbid, they come back and, and even the mourning must
1: be abstract in a certain way. But part of it is also what the nation is built on this is something that gets very little truck in in the modern talking head sphere and is very interesting to me that's why
0: we don't do video by the way (laughs) we don't want to be talking heads and if we do we will
1: be sure to show our elbows what a country stands for is very much subsequent to what a country stands on and vice versa Mm. And vice versa. Well, it seems like the
0: standing for should have something to do with
1: the standing on. But here's the thing. So most people say that. And then they wind up with this idea that life is as worth as some, finding something to die for. So you and I have a bird's eye, uh, not a bird's eye view, but an, uh, a, a very local view of people Antibio. who are very willing to die for something. Hmm. But they have precious few people who are willing to live for it. And our country has very precious few people who are willing to die for something. But quite a few people who are willing to live for it. What you die for is great. It's a big deal. You died for it. But how many people find something to live
0: for? Are you Um, saying that in a way it's easy to be a martyr, but it's harder to go through
1: the day by day? The drudgery of your day by day life. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's so easy in in a very twisted way. And I admit it's a twisted way. To find something to die for. Here is what I'm willing to give my life for. Great. Great. You gave your life for it. And in 300 years, will it have mattered? In 300 years, will we be talking about the Vietnam War? I don't know. Do we talk about half the wars that Europe fought? 300 years later? No one knows what they are. So what did you give your life for? I don't know. It seemed important at the time. But what are you going to wake up and, and, and tolerate the crap of the drudgery of your day-to-day life to raise children and put them to bed and deal with their jet-lagged crankiness, if you will. Because that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, now it gets personal.
1: No, but seriously, mm-hmm. what are you doing this for? Because it's some, like, quixotic idea of this is what you should do. Because, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I came into the world, I was, so. I Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm a, you know... I'm a social liberal but a fiscal conservative. Very nice. You know what those terms will mean when you're dead. What do you live for?
0: Yeah, Is you put that on your more? I'm yeah, a right? Classical liberal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Good luck. People will assume you were like you know in favor of euthanasia twenty years later. No, I'm serious because these things <laughs> change <true>. so rapidly. <laughs> what does that mean? What do these things mean? Mm-hmm. And and we're blessed. We live in a country where what it means to be a Jew is been meaningful for thousands of years. I'm not pretending that this is an easy thing to do, but finding something you live for is a far different and far more powerful, far more difficult thing than finding something you're willing to die for. In a way, these are
0: complementary, but... Very distinct modes of self expression the point is that they have something in common right there's there 's a person who, in one moment,
1: acquires the world to come
0: acquires the world to come but his his eternity is expressed in that moment right and there 's a person who trudges through life and earns his world to come, builds his eternity, one painstaking, painful moment at a time. (laughs) Which is easier, by the way. There's this common thread of, who are you really? What is this really about for you? What are you doing? What are you... It's not just what are you doing, it's... We could say it the way we've said it before in a way. Where are you? Like, what What does this situation, what does this world demand of you here? Maybe that's that you throw yourself on the hand grenade and save everybody with whom you're fighting but lose your own life. Or maybe that's that you're 100,000 shekels in debt but you pick up and you go to work and you try to keep it together somehow and scrape together whatever you can so that your kids can go to college, whatever it is. Thank God
1: college here is less expensive. <laughs> right? Right? What, what, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Is a far harder question to answer? Not to ask necessarily, but to answer. And what are you willing to die for? I think everyone has something they're willing to die for, but very precious few people have something they're willing to live for. Most people in a way live looking to find something to die for well it's
0: yeah, it's a harder commitment to make like you ask me what to die for, and it's it's very black and white at that point. You ask me, Would you die for this? Yes or no, right like okay, you'd answer that right okay. Now, tell me, are you willing to commit the next, how old are you, 80 years of your life to doing this over and over and over and over again? For
1: no discernible purpose or reason or reward. Uh,
0: Maybe, maybe not. Right, that's what I'm saying. And remember, when you're on your deathbed, this thing that you've been doing for the past 60 years or whatever it is. That's your life. That's your life. That's what you're going to remember. That's what you're worried about. That's what's in your will. That's... That's the whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you willing to make that? Oh, is it this business? Is it that business? Maybe you'll have two businesses. Maybe you hate business. Right, <laughs> and then what? And then what?
1: But 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 that's an amazing thing, and it's one of the reasons I, I think I'm, I'm convinced that people who travel here. And, you know, they they all say the same things. Oh, the shawarma, and the falafel, and the views, and the this, and that. And what they're really trying to say, and they don't have the bandwidth to... <laughs> I'm serious. They don't have the bandwidth to to contemplate.
0: It's because they have that crappy American mobile system. Whatever whatever the reason I mean, is. Like the only place to be, really, is here in yeah, South Korea. I exactly.
1: Mean, like, but, like... What they're Sounds saying is, here's time. a place where you're alive. Mm-hmm. And what I find amazing, what I find amazing, is people who come here have a sense of being alive. In, in many places, you need to get on a roller coaster to remind yourself that you could die. Or do smack. Right. Well, either one. <laughs> Hopefully it's a roller coaster, but either one. And and people here are just in love with their lives, however dreary and pitiful and pathetic they may be. Right, that's the shocker. Whenever the
0: happiness statistics come out. Right. We're always in the, the top, top ten. Problems, like, and, and
1: No, but here's the funny part. And then when they do the emigration statistics, mm-hmm. they discover that a fully third of our country, if given the opportunity, would live somewhere else, which is weird. If you're fully happy. you're so happy there, why why are are you you leaving?
0: Maybe it's because it's not about my circumstances. It's about who I am. (laughs) The
1: other way around. I'm happy because of who I am, but because of my circumstances. If I had the ability to earn a living and spend 10 years living somewhere else, Mm -hmm. and then I'll I'll save up enough money that I can pay off my debts. But, like, who are we kidding? Goldman points this out all the time. David Goldman points this out all the time. Israelis are in love with life because they're immortal. I mean, obviously they're going to die. Well, what does that matter? Right. But that's the point. They look at it as what does that matter? Mm -hmm. Jews are timeless. And if you're timeless, then time doesn't matter. We've been dying
0: for years.
1: I've been doing. Listen, <laughs> listen, Sonny boy. Listen. When I was your age, I died five times. Now, My, grandfather died. And My grandfather, grandfather died. And his grandfather died. Tradition. <laughs> 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 but but jokes aside, there's something very true to that. The the most look. But I mentioned George Bush before. This is, mm-hmm. this is a nice way to come full circle and, and close. George mm-hmm. Bush eulogized his mom. By saying, this is a woman who believed in the afterlife. And she looked forward to being there. Hmm. And his unspoken point was dying for her was not a tragedy. And it was not a suffering. It was somebody who said, I'm up to the next stage. And here I am. Whatever your beliefs are, personally. And whatever your, you know, whatever. Fine, that's you. But this was her. (laughs) And, And Israelis and Jews... Because Israelis are Jews. Jews live astride time. We live standing over the horizon of time. So that when, I don't know, Lagba Omer it's coming up in a few weeks, mm-hmm. a week and a half, whatever it is. So when, when the 33rd day of the Omer, whatever that is. exactly, <inaudible> Whatever it is. But this is the funny thing. When it comes, people not just commemorate things. They re-experience things. We don't look at time as something that happened. It's something that happens. Yes. Today, we didn't just celebrate, oh, it's been 70 years since our independence. We celebrated independence. Mm-hmm. How many Americans? And and again, many of you may come to the, you know, the Facebook group and be like, excuse me. I do this all the time. But, well, but I, you're a minority. How many Americans sit there on July 4th and truly give thanks that they are independent? See, it wasn't
0: just lip service when I was growing up, where I was growing up. But what Independence Day was about wasn't so much American independence. It's about what values do Americans have today. And that's a very different thing. Correct. It's become abstracted. It's what we do. It's not...
1: What we are. Our existence. Right. And listen, this has been a, a theme of yours. And I'm giving you the credit for it. I'm saying. Or, or blaming me. No, no, no. I'm giving <laughs> you the credit for it. We, we have talked about this much, but it's your chidush. It's your novel insight. It's not who you are, it's where you stand. Values are about you. Values This is what I think is important. Where you stand is very much a, a function of who owns the ground you're standing on. We look at life as a culture or civilization, society, community, group of people, nation, religion. I don't care. Pick your word. And it's amazing, and we'll spend the full episode on this sometime, how we weirdly sit at the nexus of all these See, definitions. We were just, the way we look at life is not predicated on, on who. It's predicated on what or where. What are you? Where do you stand? I don't care who you are. That's ephemeral. Like we pointed out as a joke. And in 300 years, the words classical liberal I'm a libertarian
0: anything. of this
1: particular right, stripe yeah. with this it's like that. Policy. It's like that old yeah. Emo Phillips joke.
2: We should all learn to love each other. Once I was in San Francisco. Walking along the Golden Gate Bridge. And I saw this guy on the bridge about to jump. I thought I'd try to stall him, detain him, long enough for me to put the film in. (laughs) Were you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too, what franchise? <laughs> he says Baptist, I said me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He says, Northern Baptist, I said me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist. He says, Northern Conservative Baptist, I said me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist or Northern Conservative Reform Baptist. He says, Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist, I said me too. Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist, Great Lakes Region. North of Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Eastern Region. He says, North Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region. Nice and me too. North Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879. North of Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He says, North Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, Die a heretic. And I pushed him out.
1: Right. Oh yeah. No, I'm from this conventicle of of this uh, synod of that. Yeah, we yeah. got it. we heard that from Carol. Yeah, yeah. I've I, I've seen it. I saw it years ago. But like, yeah, like Carol pointed out, like this is actually people's whole identities, and it's it's pathetic. It's time we have a theme song for Carol. It is.
0: Oh, sweet Caroline. Good times now. Never-
1: so good So I, I guess the way to end is because not everyone is one of us and not everyone is part of that arc of history and not everyone has to be but I guess the food for thought is not so much what will you die for what are you living for the way I put this I eulogized my mother with this My mother was the sole culmination of generations of people that lived for a certain thing. But it's not that, oh, look, my mother gave her life for the. No, it's that I'm here. It's that through her, this continues. So the way I said it was, when you're food for worms, what will live on? Those are the things that are important to you. Values are a dime a dozen. What do you want to be on this planet when you are part of the fertilizer? That's the question. What are you going to leave behind? That's the question. What will your great-great-great-grandchildren live for? Even though they
0: don't know your they name. They never knew they, who
1: you were. No. If you're lucky, they'll know what country you were from. What are those lives going to be about? That's what your life is going to be about. That, I think, is the question that most of us spend a lifetime trying to answer, but ultimately defines who we are because it defines what we are and where we are. I would drop the mic if I was holding it. (laughs) (laughs) Take us out, man.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Holy Madness. If you don't yet follow us on Facebook, please join our Facebook page. Join the discussion group if you'd like to contribute your thoughts to the ongoing conversations there. And you can also find us on Twitter.
1: And we have a Patreon page yes we do if you like what you hear help keep it coming on that note wishing you a happy Independence Day from the city on a hill
0: Spirata Omer Smecha happy counting <laughs> the Omer and until next time to sorry. all our ships at sea
1: <laughs> exactly Shalom Shalom y'all.
2: E okhei kolah la tatik vateinu Must be ktah ot veli beinu
0: Va dal nitzach nitzachim Kedushah khanagdin
1: Gibor Give up, give up.